Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Breakdown with Off episode 26. Today's episode is once again going to be a lot of information. Ultimately, it's going to be over uh, one topic with the COVID uh, virus and the Wuhan lab and all the allegations coming out of uh, the COVID-19 and the origins of it. So we're going to be spending quite a bit of time talking over that topic. But of course, we're going to be covering more than just COVID on the podcast. So we have a lot of different topics to get into for today. But first, I just want to make a quick shout out once again to freedomscoop.com. The site still is under construction, unfortunately. We hope to get that resolved uh, in the near future. But meanwhile, while the site is down, you can still find their Twitter at Freedom Scoop, or Scoop of Freedom, excuse me, or their Facebook page or many other pages. Where you can find individual content creators like J. Edgar 101, The Generational Gap, Stephen Ingeramus, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The R-Rated Conservative. Most of these people have daily shows where they go over the news and the benefit of listening to those creators is they give you an individual uh, perspective on news that is happening from an average person that uh, is living in America today. And not a slanted bias of mass news of mass media news that you typically hear. So you could definitely listen to their shows to get the daily news or their uh, weekly shows to get uh, more just general news and general culture and just kind of what's happening in the United States in general. So once again, make sure to check out freedomscoop.com. If you kind of like what I have to talk about in my opinions, you might like theirs as well. Now that we got that out of the way, we can get into our first uh, topic for today's uh, podcast. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but last week there was a big push to get a January 6th uh, commission, independent commission, or just commission in general, to investigate the Capitol riot and figure out the origins of how it happened, who uh, did a crime, and ultimately probably lead to more arrests coming out of the January 6th event and the insurrection and blah, 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 blah. We all know about the Capitol riot. But last week, we spent a decent amount of time on the podcast kind of talking about that Capitol riot and the commission. Well, we now have some more recent updates about the Capitol riot uh, commission, our independent council commission, whatever you, you want to call it. And ultimately, this bill got blocked in a Senate mostly because of Republicans. Now, the week before, you might remember that one of the Democratic leaders of the House, or the leader of the House, if I'm not mistaken, was not so much a fan of getting this bill passed because he was more in favor of of having a commission but making it more wide open. And we definitely heard that from a lot of Republican House leaders as well. And he kind of got called a bad guy by the Democratic Party and so on for not going towards the agenda that the majority of mass media wants you to think the Democrats believe. And maybe the Democrats do believe that, but it's hard to ultimately tell the true origins because he was a pretty high up there figure as a politician that didn't necessarily want this uh, bill to pass and this commission to exist unless it did other things involved. 
So it uh, ultimately did go through the house and ultimately did go through that process. But many people are speculative if this was going to pass the Senate. And it turns out that Senate Republicans ended up blocking this bill. So we're first going to read about that by NPR. And just a quick refresher of this commission. They'll, they'll probably go a little bit over it in the article. But as I said, this was mainly to, uh, to, to look over the events and how it happened and how they can reduce it, what failed, why weren't there police called, why did they wait this amount of time to call the National Guard, who did something bad and they should be convicted, you know, numerous topics that would be covered in this commission. And the majority of Democrats in the House and probably the majority of Democrats in the Senate were in favor of this type of commission. And as I mentioned, a little bit earlier, a lot of Republicans, uh, more you could say rhino Republicans who kind of go on both sides and aren't like the hardcore conservative like you may think of a Lindsey Graham or a Ted Cruz and people like that, were saying that, okay, I see the benefits of of a commission like this but if we're going to do something like this we need to make sure that we do it for the black lives matter protest and the shooting at that baseball game uh that was being held uh, that political baseball game that was being held and numerous other events so we have to be fair and we can't just take it in one approach and one thing that happened so that was a big push by them but let's go on to see what uh npr has to say um, one quick uh, thing before we get into this article, and I see that they also mention it, is there is a big push of bipartisanship, meaning that both parties were willing to have this commission because there is a Republican uh, member and a Democratic member that may that work together to make this bill. So that also needs to be stated. Not at, not all Republicans were not in favor of having a commission like this. In fact, the majority of those Rhino Republicans were in favor of having a commission like this, but maybe changing one or two things. And then there was obviously some Republicans that didn't want any type of commission out there. But let's get into what NPR has to say. Bipartisan uh, legislation to establish an independent commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has failed in the Senate as Republicans staged their first filibuster since President Biden took office to block the plan. And a filibuster is essentially a way that uh, politicians can extend time uh, and talk about kind of whatever they want in order to make the bill run out of time to pass. Because most of these bills are under uh, some sort of time limit to get the bill passed. So a lot of times these filibusters are done to extend that time and ultimately you can talk about anything within a filibuster and you can't necessarily stop the speaking time that that senator has. So it's a very uh, controversial thing in politics that has been uh, being talked about from both sides of the aisle for a decent amount of time now. And it was a major news topic uh, probably two or three months ago. Maybe not even that. And I'm pretty sure we covered that in one of our podcasts about the filibuster. But uh, that's just a quick refresher as to what that is. The final vote, 54 to 35, but Republicans withhold the votes necessary to bring the bill up for debate. Just six GOP senators joined the Democrats on Friday, leaving the measure short of 60 votes needed to proceed. The proposed commission was modeled on with one established to investigate the 9-11 attacks with 10 commissioners, five Democrats and five Republicans who had 
who have Sabina Powers, a Democratic chair or Republican vice chair, would have been would have had to approve all subpoenas, with a final report due at the end of the year. The House approved the measure 252 to 175 last week, with 35 Republicans joining all Democrats in the support of the plan. But Senate Republican led by majority or sorry minority leader Mitch McConnell were deeply skeptical of the commission in the days leading up to the vote. McConnell has dismissed the proposal as a purely political exercise, given that the two Senate committees are already looking at the events on January 6 and remarks of the Senate floor uh, Thursday. McConnell called into question how much more a commission would be able to unearth. So that's one big thing going against a commission like this is just what new information are you even going to find in something like this? Another thing kind of speculating out there is why would we want to spend even more tax dollars investigating this than we already have to? And those both kind of go along the lines of what is happening for what's involved in a commission like this. And I think that does need to be stated because uh, I don't necessarily think that a commission like this would lead to any new results coming out of it and ultimately would just cost more money than actually what is expected for a commission to be released. In other words, what I mean by that is if a commission were to be done and were to give new emphasis or new insight into the solution and how to fix the problem or uh, a shooting that hasn't been talked about or hasn't been heard or uncover just a remarkable new sense of information, then something like this is probably worth it but I don't necessarily think that that is going to happen because this event was so highly publicized and so highly talked about and there's already been so many commissions the idea that any sort of new insight is going to come out that's going to make this commission groundbreaking and worth the amount of money and worth the amount of time it takes isn't necessarily worth what's going on here and I think that that is uh I think that that needs to be stated. Needs to, uh, Let's put it this way. I think that that needs to be stated. But uh, it's hard to ultimately say that a commission like this would be completely worthless either. It's just a matter of, it, it, like I said before, if any new information would come out. And ultimately, I don't really think that any new information would come out out of this. So I don't really think that it would be worth it. But let's go on and see what NPR has to say. I do not believe that additional extraneous commission that Democratic leaders want would uncover crucial new facts or promote healing, the Kentucky Republican said. Frankly, I do not believe it is even designed to, and that's kind of what I was hinting towards. Because I think that that needs to be a... I, th I think I've... I, I'm having a hard time kind of explaining this, but I, I think it, it's almost so obvious that I don't want to just keep repeating what I've already heard from multiple other people out there and content creators and newscasters or whatever you all want to ultimately say. But ultimately, I agree with what, what he had to say and other uh, minority Senate leaders and such who are basically saying that they don't really see this effort as being worth it. And 
make no mistake, we, this this effort is largely perceived as being totally political in narrative, in narrative, in narrative, and not any other motivation involved in it. Because if this commission was having motivations of discovering new information, I don't think it would necessarily be as debated as it is right now. And I don't think it's a far stretch for some of the Republican senators and some of the Republican congressmen and some of uh, the Republicans out there to think that this just has a political narrative to it. Now that may be a little bit conspiratorial because we don't necessarily know that for sure, but just the way this event has been covered has been largely politicized and the way this commission has been talked about has largely been politicized. But I do think it also needs to state that this could could just be the failure of mass media because mass media is very very strong at wanting to create uh, narratives that fit their side. So if you're CNN, CNBC, and any of the left-wing news media, you are going to want to view this commission as a way to catch these criminals and to make sure that the Capitol never goes under attack again because it is a truly, truly, truly remarkable building the White House and this building should never ever ever be attacked and if you're the right-wing media say Fox News or uh, what's the other one called now Newsmax or whatever that one's called any of the right-wing media sources you might be viewing this commission as a political attack and they're just targeting these people that attack the Capitol and that's their only motivation for doing this and there's literally no other things that could be resolved in this no other conflicts they are just doing this for political motivations and political narratives and there's no other way why they should have this commission it's just a political attack it's a political attack on our people you know this is the sort of rhetoric that you hear when you listen to these mass media sources so if you take away the mass media and you just look at a commission like this, you could say that if this commission is done right and are trying to discover new facts and trying to prevent anything like this from happening again, that it's not necessarily a bad thing and probably something that we should be doing. But you could also take a step back and look at it from a different perspective and say, we've already investigated this. There's no reason to investigate it again. We already know the people that went in Nancy Pelosi's office. We already know the people that put their foot up on the desk. We already know the people that had guns. Uh, we already know the people that did more than blank, blank, blank. We already know all these people because, let's face it, the majority of these people were not wearing masks. And it's not like the White House only has one camera. This isn't the 1700s in the White House or the 1800s in the White House or whatever year you want to say, where you have a where you don't even have cameras and you would just have to rely on eyewitness accounts. We don't, it's not like that. The White House is probably the most surveillanced building. I almost said the most secure, but uh, I don't know if you could necessarily make that claim anymore. But the White House is extremely, extremely, extremely surveillanced. After all, that is where the president uh, operates in and to some extent lives in the White House. So this building is extremely secure and extremely surveillance has a ton of cameras and these people were not wearing masks and I know 
with with almost with a hundred with almost a hundred percent certainly like ninety nine point nine 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 eight nine 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 seven nine 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 percent certainly that that everybody who was in the Capitol at some point, the FBI, the investigators, the uh, CSI, or whatever you want to say, uh, or the CIA, not CSI, but anyway, the CIA already knows who these people are and where they are. Now, uh, they did make a mistake a couple weeks ago that of targeting somebody who lived in Alaska they raided their business, I believe it was. It was either their business or a house because they believed that that person bought Nancy Pelosi's laptop off of some sort of black market site. But it ended up that that person was at the Capitol and was there. They claimed they never entered the building. We don't know that for sure. But they were not the ones that bought the laptop and that was pretty much it. So they basically confused them with someone else based off of what they looked like and uh, probably some other things that we don't necessarily know about but that is a very interesting claim when it comes to this as well so yes there still is mistaken identity and it does appear like the FBI or investigators may not know exactly what everyone looks like I still think that a high majority of people have already been identified and known by the cameras it's just a matter of making for sure that they know that those are the people who are the people Alrighty, so we got our uh, next article by CNN talking about this as we wait for it to load. So this is by CNN, as I just stated. It says, key vote on Capitol Riot Commission delayed in Senate. And this gives us the most recent events happening off of it. Anybody that uh, goes to CNN knows that they often have these threads where they'll have their uh, all the articles posted to. Sometimes Twitter posts made by their anchors or news media. And you just have a ongoing thread that updates when the most recent event happens relating to the information. They've had one on COVID for a long time. They have one on the Capitol Riot thing now. And they've had many other topics out there before. So this is their most recent article from my uh, fr- from the time I am recording this podcast. Key vote on January 6th commission bill not expected until later on Friday after Republicans bow down the Senate floor. Republican senators have delayed the passage of a massive bill designed to increase American competitiveness with China. The key uh, blah, blah blah blah. The timing of this commission vote is not known because it's unclear how far Republicans will drag out the fight over the previous bill. At least eight Republicans have requested time to speak on the floor tonight, or sorry, overnight, for up to an hour each to voice their their objections to the legislative package aimed at China. As the debate carried into into early Friday morning, the chamber was highly was largely empty. Only a few GOP senators were made to listen to ongoing debate, looking on where a small parade of bleary-eyed senators and floor staff. So that was about the commission for China, necessarily, but there's several other updates as to relating to the commission itself. I just thought I would quickly mention one of the more recent stories being based off of that. 
So now that we got all of that commission stuff out of the way, I would be very interested to know uh, everyone's thoughts when it comes to a commission like this, because I do think that the commission has become highly publicized, and I don't necessarily think that it is going to lead to the best results either. And I'm a little bit skeptical as to uh, the, the commission being unbiased and it having a political motivation, because despite how much I dislike the mass media and narratives that come from it, I don't necessarily think that it, they're, they're wrong on this one. And I don't know if they're if it's as bad as the media is making it out to be, uh, white-wing media that is, but I definitely could see a political motivation for having a commission like that. And you could also argue from a uh, individual perspective that uh, that we've already have done a commission and any sort of further commission after this is invading the people's rights. Now that would take your stance on the insurrection as being not an insurrection and, and just a selfie fest as I've heard people talk about it as. And uh, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that claim either. So I don't necessarily think that a commission and how people are viewing this commission, even though it's blocked now, is truly one side good or one side bad. I definitely think that there is a little bit of grayness when it comes to uh, a, a situation like this and a topic like this. But I would be definitely interested to hear your opinions and your thoughts over the commission and if you think those Republican senators were justified in blocking a January 6th, 9-11 type of commission to uh, view the January 6th Capitol rights. But we're going to go on to our next topic here. And this is about uh, President Biden's budget proposal and increased federal debt slash spending, whatever way you want to ultimately think about it. So a lot of Republicans and people similar to Republicans are saying that they're very scared by the amount of money that uh, President Biden has been printing through stimulus checks and uh, other spending relating to COVID. Uh, Biden has already spent a tremendous amount of money and has just approved a massive bill to uh, Israel for uh, firearms deal. So Biden has been spending a whole bunch of money, but mostly it has been spent on money relating to COVID relief and emergency bills that Biden has passed. And many people are worried that have a little bit of an economic mind are worried that the amount of money that Biden is printing is going to devalue the dollar and ultimately lead to the destruction of the United States economy. Recently, I don't think it was on a podcast. I think it was on a live stream, uh, but not a podcast. I had somebody in live chat, <clears throat> excuse me, bring up the question of the uh, China and the and how China's uh, 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 China's economy is improving. And he was thinking that the United States economy was going to shrink, and in about 20 to 30 years or so, or 40 years, whatever number he said, that the United States economy was going to be completely destroyed, and China was going to be the biggest new economy out there. And at the time, I was like, well, I'm not so sure about that. But after that uh, live stream, I started to hear a lot more people talking about that.
So I don't necessarily know too much about economy, really. It hasn't been something I am entirely interested in. But it does make sense that the more you print without backing the money that's being printed, the lesser the value the dollar gets, and that has tremendous impact because every other nation out there uses United States dollars in trading value and uh, currency exchange rate. It's all based on USD. So if the USD eventually gets too bad and gets worse, the USD could become a uh, insignificant currency and it could switch to something else. And I don't necessarily know if we're a couple steps away from that, if we're two steps away, if we're three steps away, how many steps we are away from having something like that. But I do think it needs to be stated and needs to be talked about and it needs to be something to be a little bit concerned about. So as we, as we go to talk about that, we have a USA Today article talking about uh, Biden's, uh, Biden's budget proposal and expected increase in federal debt slash federal spending. So, now that the, the website is loaded, sorry about that, the internet's just being a little bit slow. So I was hoping we would be able to get a flawless tradition there, but looks like we had to waste a little bit of dead space, so I apologize for that, but let's keep this moving. Oops. One second, one second, we just, uh... Press the wrong thing. So as we wait for this to load again, sorry about that, we'll... Oh, here we go, here we go. Hopefully the internet will pick up some speed as we go through these as we go through this podcast. <clears throat> Washington. After weeks of touting the beliefs of President Joe Biden's proposed spending increases, the White House will lay out Friday the effects of federal debt of its budget plan. The plan is already giving folder for for critics after the New York Times reported Tuesday or sorry Thursday that by 2024 the debt would be larger than a share of the economy than it was during the World War II. The campaign arm for House Republicans called Biden's reported six trillion budget plan for the fiscal year that begins October insane. The National Republican Con- Congressional Committee. Also said it's no surprise the proposal is being released on the Friday before a holiday weekend when the public is less likely to be paying attention to the news. Progressives rushed to Biden's defense. That was already on pace to reach high levels, but the nation was not on pace to meet public needs to an economic security of families, climate change, and other areas, tweeted Steph, uh, tweeted Steph Hellenon, a senator fellow for the Center of for American progress. So yes, the national debt has always been increasing. In fact, I believe Trump either doubled or tripled the national debt after Obama, and now it's uh, President Biden's turn to tackle the debt crisis, and if he decides to fix the national debt, or if he decides to once again triple or double the national debt we are experiencing now. And as it turns out, and as it's looking, it looks like Biden is going to be more in favor of uh, increasing the national debt than trying to decrease the national debt. So that could potentially be a problem. So the way Steph is saying that is necessary is actually it 
Ugh. It is true, but ultimately that's not the problem we should be thinking about when it comes to debt. We, at some point, we need to have someone that is willing to fix the debt crisis. Because yes, we're still able to live in a, in a nation under debt because of the way economy works. But eventually it is going to lead to the downfall if it's not fixed. And the way it's looking now, it is looking more and more likely that it is going to lead to our downfall. And uh, and I think that that is, and I think that that is important. <laughs> Helen was an uh, economic special assistant to former President Barack Obama, so there's no reason to believe that the faster debt growth under Biden's plan would have a meaningful economic effect, and definitely not in relation to the positive effects of the public po policy changes. Excuse me. White House Press Secretary Jim Paxi on Thursday declined to confirm the $6 trillion budget figure first reported by the New York Times and followed the, by the Washington Post. She told news, news reporters traveling with Biden to Cleveland, where the president touted the economic police on plans that his proposals would put us on better financial footing. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of that video if it decides to load here. But uh, as we wait for the internet to catch up and the video to load, uh, the national debt is something I, once again, am not necessarily expert about. And I still find it somewhat confusing that people are able to, our, our, our nation is able to be under debt and still function. Because when you think about it, if you're late on the car bill, oh, here we go, we'll let my, it play. Uh, my funding priorities for the appropriations process, including two key public health initiatives that pushing. First is, uh, like DARPA in the Defense Department, which was designed to develop and has developed breakthroughs to protect us and enhance our physical safety, I'm proposing a $6.5 billion appropriation for what we call ARPA-H, which is focused on going to focused on health issues. This is a pioneer breakthrough that we hope we, we can detect and treat, prevent diseases like Alzheimer's and diabetes and give us a chance to end cancer as we know it because we'll focus exclusively on those items. And uh, secondly, I propose an historic funding increase of 50% of $4 billion and the opioid crisis, which still ravages the country and has taken so many lives over the last two years. Resources of both the states and the tribes for treatment as well as uh, prevention. It also includes the single largest funding increase ever for Title I schools, schools for disadvantaged schools. So his proposal has a whole bunch of uh, motivations involved in it and some people are slightly concerned about it and some people are not so concerned about it when it comes to national debt and that's kind of a, a interesting concept I think and something that uh, that uh needs to be talked about and obviously you heard that one of the biggest pushes he has is for uh, health concerns 
and Biden, uh, when he was running for president, made the 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 uh, phrase that got him a whole bunch of attention, saying that he would be able to find the cure for cancer. And a lot of people were somewhat angry for Biden for saying something like that, because uh, if you're wrong about your claim about curing cancer as president, then it makes you look like a total idiot to to say it in nice terms. Uh, but if you're right, then it's it's something to be to be good. Like ultimately, think of it as this way: if you, if as president, one of your uh, solutions you want is to solve the problem of cancer, or to at least solve a certain type of cancer, because solving all cancer is is probably not going to be what happens. It's probably going to be a certain type of cancer. Finding a cure for it is extremely important, and setting that as one of your top agendas as a president is not a bad thing. In fact, I think many of people would really respect you as president for doing so. But if you say that you are going to cure cancer as president, and you don't cure cancer, then that is a extremely horrific thing to say to a lot of people. And uh, especially if someone voted for you because of that. Uh, in other words, one of the big problems with presidents is campaign promises in general. And this is a little bit of a rant. But um, ultimately, as a president, you can run on uh, expanding the border or open borders. Or you can run on that you're going to increase the national debt. Or sorry, decrease the national debt. Or you could run on, you're going to bring the troops back home. You know, any number of these topics. And you ultimately don't have to do it. Nobody's holding you to have to fulfill your campaign promises. And that is is problemsome. Because that leaves the opportunity for, say, President Biden in this case. To say that he is going to solve cancer. And ultimately that just doesn't happen. Now, I, I think that was most likely a slip of words from President Biden because I think he ultimately wants to to solve cancer or type of cancer or help in cancer research and not ultimately be the cure for cancer as president. But long story short, the whole budget thing was a major focus on health uh, for uh, health insurance type of stuff and cancer research and things like that. And uh, I think that that is, is important because I don't think anyone would ultimately be mad at a president for saying that he wants to solve cancer. So it ultimately just comes down to wording. And we all know from President Biden that he is not necessarily the best from his words and like President Trump, but in a totally opposite way. President Trump would say anything he ever wanted to say without thinking twice about it. President Biden more just says stuff wrong or says something that... I don't necessarily think he thought a lot about, and I think that cancer one was one of those. And uh, as we wait for this next article by Politico to load up, it looks like it's about ready. So this one is about Biden mocks Republicans from promoting recovery plan they voted against. So we are going to go ahead and play this video for us once it decides to load up. Come on, you can do it. Looks like when you good. buy this tea at Walmart, Walmart can buy more tea from Milo's. There's an ad first. Sorry about that. But this is ultimately... Milo's can create new jobs. Jobs for people... 
Shout out. And Lacey. And me. Me, I love my work family. Family here and home. Well, looks like they want us to play the ad anyway. better for us because of a job. A job created when you buy this tea at Walmart. Looks like they're forcing us to listen to it, so I apologize to that. <laughs> oh my goodness, I apologize for that. Not a single one of them. Rescue plan. I'm not going to embarrass any one of them, but I have here a list <laughs> of how back in their districts they're bragging. We're going to restart that. Not a single one of them voted for the rescue plan. I'm not going to embarrass any one of them, but I have here a list <laughs> of how back in their districts they're bragging about the rescue plan. They touted the, re the restaurant revitalization fund. They touted the fact that we're in a situation where they're dealing with touted grants to community health care centers. Touted, I mean, some people have no shame, <laughs> but I'm happy. I'm happy. So you kind of get the drift of what he was doing in his uh, press conference there, <clears throat> which I thought was a little bit funny. Biden does have a weird sense of humor, but I think this was an example of a little bit more of the funnier side of Biden that we typically don't usually see. Usually when he tries to be funny, nobody really... Uh, laughs at his jokes because he says his joke wrong, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> anyway, I apologize for that ad, but uh, let's continue on to see what uh, this article has to say. President Joe Biden continues to ne negotiate with Republicans on his big-ticket spending plans, but on Thursday when he left Washington, he mocked them for voting against the coronavirus recovery package and turning around and promoting the bill. If you're going to try and take credit for what you have done, don't get in the way of what you still need to do, he said during a visit to Northeast Ohio, holding a list of 13 Republicans, not a single one of them voted for the rescue plan. Biden specifically said he would reveal which Republicans he was referring to, but then show the paper with the names visible. <laughs> oh, good guess. Uh, I wonder if he meant to do that. Probably did, but let's continue on. I'm not going to embarrass any one of them. We just heard that. In a speech at the community college, Biden said his trillions of dollars in proposals are already igniting economic, economic recovery and creating billions of jobs following the coronavirus pandemic. Biden and his allies say that they believe that gaining the support of the majority of, of Americans, as well as Republican governors, mayors, and local officials across the country, could help them secure the banking of congressional Republicans or even give Democrats uh, a chance to push through their plans on party-line vote. We have turned the tide on a once-in-a-century pandemic. Now we are faced with the question. What kind of economic what kind of economy are we going to build for tomorrow? What are we going to do? Biden said. I believe this is our moment to rebuild an economy from bottom up and the middle out. Not a trickle down economy. Back in Washington, Senate Republicans sent Biden their latest proposal on Thursday, on Thursday, but the $928 million infrastructure plan is still hundreds of billions less than the White House last offer of $1.7 trillion. And this was an effort 
at uh, health, uh, as we heard in the uh, previous article. And this political article goes on for a little bit longer, talking about the details of what was particularly in that bill. So if you are interested in that, all of these articles are linked in the channel description when you are listening to this video now, or as a podcast in the podcast description if you are listening to this as a podcast. But the major question here is about the major idea behind his uh, his printing of uh, the recovery bill. Because ultimately, Biden wants to seem to handle the business problem that uh, many Americans find themselves in, and the economic crisis in general a ton of Americans find themselves in, by simply giving Americans and giving infrastructure for businesses and infrastructure for uh, for many other peoples out there and, and businesses out there and uh, and other things out there such as healthcare money to be able to solve the issue. Once again, the problem goes back to where is this money coming from and how are we going to balance out the scales? Because if you just keep printing and printing and printing, the scale goes down and down and down and the money you have you actually have is no longer as much as you thought it was. So that becomes a major, 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 major problem. And I am not a economic expert by any means, but I think that that is something... I think that's something that uh, needs to be discussed. And I'll definitely be interested to having a discussion about this. Because I can see in Biden's eyes the way he's thinking about this. He simply wants to get out of this pandemic and out of this situation that Americans find themselves in as soon as possible. And we just need to get back and be the America we once were. And we need to do this as soon as possible. And he's doing that by these infrastructure plans for businesses and healthcare and other topics out there. Housing, you know, topics like that. And uh, it might help in the near future. The problem becomes what's going to happen 15 years from now? What's going to happen 20 years from now? What's going to happen even 5 years from now from all of this spending? And I think that that does need to also be be concerned. But I can see the way Biden is approaching this. And maybe I'm wrong about the way Biden is approaching this. But this is just the way I'm thinking about why he wants to do these infrastructure bills and why he wants to print the money that he's printing. Because let's face it, Biden has been in government for a very long time. And many people may think of Biden as being dumb and old. But I don't necessarily think that he is dumb and old when it comes to politics and when it comes to policies like this. I think he very much knows what he is doing and he probably thinks that this is the only way or one of the best ways to solve the solution that America is in now and it may work in the near future and help us right now but I don't think that it's going to be a good solution in the future and could put major issues on an economy and major issues of the, of the way the United States looks. And that is ultimately the issue that I have with it. And maybe I'm not seeing it the correct way, but that's just kind of the way I, I see this and the way I think about this. And definitely I would like if y'all want to debate this with me, you can join my Discord, you can join my Twitter, whatever you want. And I would definitely be open to having a discussion about this. But uh, 
that's just the way I kind of see it. And unfortunately, I think that that is the truth when it comes to this solution. This next article is by uh, CNN as well. And it is once again about our friend Orange Man Trump. Trump appointee on West Bank board spreads conspiracy that Biden is replacing white people of European ancestry. Which is just ridiculous. But let's go on to see what this article has to say. A Trump appointee serving on West Point's advisory board was repeatedly spread a conspiracy that the Biden administration is bringing in non-white immigrants as part of a grand plan to have them outnumber white Americans of European ancestry in the United States. In another interview, he also attacked women serving in the military and combat roles. The comments were made in April and in May by retired Army uh, Douglas who was appointed to West Bank Board of Visitors and the Winning Muffs of the Trump administration and uncovered a CNN K-File review of his recent comments. Douglas also served as a senior official in Trump's Department of Defense where he was uh, tasked with the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan after being appointed in November 2020. Uh, He was previously nominated to Trump's administration advisory to Germany, but his nomination failed to receive a hearing following a CNN K-File report on controversial comments on minorities, Islam, and German remnants of the Holocaust. He graduated from West Point and served in the U.S. Army for nearly 30 years as a decorated combat veteran before retiring as a colonel in 2004. He is a frequent radio and television uh, commenter on national security affairs, mostly on Fox News and so on. I think they have got control of it, he said. When they asked about the situation on the U.S.-Mexico border, there's no question about it. But their idea of control is being in as many people as they possibly can, as quickly as possible, from anywhere in the world. Frankly, but before we leave from Latin America, the Middle East, Africa, and some some portions of Asia, but not many. The idea is that, and this is him as well, the idea is that they have to bring as many non-Europeans as possible in order to outnumber the number of Americans of European ancestry who live in the United States. That's what it's all about. I don't think that there's any point in questioning it. This is a policy, it is deliberate policy to enact demographic change. So, obviously, from what uh, CNN has in their article, it is not making him look very good at all. And it would be interested to know the full context to all of what he had to say, because I'm sure CNN picked the most juicy parts in response to whatever question he was asked or whatever comments he gave. But at the same time, it's... <laughs> I find it... Uh, I find it almost a little bit crazy to his response to the border crisis because anybody who views the border crisis doesn't I don't doesn't really think about what he was bringing up I don't think when people view the border crisis that they think that it's just a way to get as many Latin Americans are are uh, Muslims are Middle Easterns are Africans into the nation as possible to change the percentage of white people. I don't really think that the majority of people really view the border crisis in that way. So I just think that that is just kind of a little bit uh, ridiculous, to say the least. 
this next article is about some, uh, or this next topic, I should say, is about vaccine passports. So, vaccine passports have been a major uh, question when it comes to internal politics and external politics. In other words, from United States to international. And a lot of the vaccine passports have been talking about have come from New York, where the New York's uh, politicians were wanting to pass a vaccine passport to be able to prove that you have received the vaccine and uh, that you have received the vaccine and you are able to go in this group and you are able to form with these people and the vaccine passport served as as a verification to uh, having the the vaccine and that was very important for a lot of people but it also got talked a lot about because the only way that they would be able to verify this is if they had access to your health records by having the vaccine so a lot of people were afraid about that in the United States because it is the land of freedom and the land of liberty so a lot of people thought that that was an overreach of the government but then many people brought up the question of well what is international travel going to look like because now that borders are starting to open in foreign countries between the united states and between international countries just borders are opening to say it in a short short term People are wondering how countries were going to be able to control who was going in and out of their country and who had the vaccine or not. Because these countries, although they're opening their border, do not want to have an increase in COVID uh, just because they decide to open their borders. So, a lot of people were saying that they didn't think that vaccine passports were needed to be on a community level and an United States level, but they could see the impact and they could see the role of having vaccine passports in an international way. So that brings me to our first article here by The Guardian, where it talks about these vaccine passports for international travel. As we wait for it to load, okay, here we go. U.S. taking a very close look at vaccine passports for international travel. The Biden administration is taking a very close look at the possibility of vaccine passports for travel in and out of the United States. The Homeland Security Secretary said on Friday, the Transport Secretary Administration, which safeguards the nation's transportory systems, is housed under the department. Like so many other public health measures meant to migrate COVID-19 spread, vaccine passports have drawn support and ire. Some some welcome the, pa- the some welcome the fast pass to normalcy, sick of extended quarantines and tedious testing requirements. Others harbor unsustained concerns that the that the surface surface uh, let's try that again others harbor unsustaining concerns that the certificates could chip away at their privacy still others worry about the vaccine inequality with the life-saving shots going disproportionately to residents of the world's wealthiest nations uh everyone should get vaccinated this doctor says blah 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 blah. in the u.s 
U.S. as states have reopened their uh, economy, some such as New York and California have turned the verification of vaccines as a visible way to safety allow large gatherings and social events. Others, including Florida and Texas, have gone so far as to ban their certificates. In the past, the Biden administration has said it does not intend to launch a nationwide vaccine passport and denied plans for federal vaccination mandate. The government is not now nor will be supporting a system that requires Americans to to carry a uh, to carry to carry a credential, the White House press secretary Jim Paxley said last month. Already, the European Union and some Asian governments and the airline industry are scrambling to develop COVID-19 vaccine passports. They are working on a system that will allow travelers to use mobile phone apps to prove that they have been vaccinated, helping them to avoid quarantine requirements at their destinations. So that was our first article talking about these vaccine passports. And we have, I believe, one more article on this topic. Yes, one more article on this topic from Axios. And so this is obviously taking a United States perspective on vaccine passports from international travel. But I definitely think that it goes the other way for sure as well. And the United States under Biden is definitely going to be more cautious of COVID-19 than, say, an administration under President Trump. I think you could say that pretty safely. So the idea that how restricted is it going to be for international travelers to the United States and would we require a vaccine passport for international citizens is something to be considered as well. And ultimately, I don't think that... Uh, international countries are as cautious of having something like a vaccine passport as Americans are because Americans are super focused on individual choice and the idea that you have to have a vaccine and you have to have this passport goes against that individual choice claim that a lot of Americans seem to hold which isn't necessarily a big problem but it's definitely a part of the American culture when compared to international countries. So I can see it going a little bit better from, say, somebody from uh, France or somebody from Italy or somebody from, you know, a foreign nation to the United States and getting the vaccine passport compared to a citizen from the United States going to uh, to uh, France or Italy and them are crying a vaccine passport. Which I think is interesting. It's something that may not be true for a lot of people, but it's definitely true for, I think, more people uh, here in the United States than it would be for international. So this is by Axios. Why did the administration take a close look at vaccine passports for international travel, as we just heard? This is why they say it matters. While vaccine passports could be seen as helpful in reopening international travel, there is no one central international vaccine passport system making them a target for fraud. 
Which is an interesting claim as well, because if you're not going to have a socialized method of having a vaccine passport, be the one method for everybody and one method for everyone, not just one for United States, one for Italy, one for France, one for Russia, one for China. I'm talking one thing for everybody, every nation is uh, the only way that you could ultimately prevent a mass amount of fraud from happening. But uh, the question, like the question about fraud, ultimately comes down to the questions we had during that election on if the fraud amount is a big enough amount to even matter, because it could there could be potential that the fraud is a is definitely a percentage, but not a percentage that really matters to basically say no more vaccine passports only whatever system they come up with. So that would be an argument from the side of people who are in support of vaccine passports. And other people who aren't in support of vaccine passports are simply just going to do anything they can to avoid them in the first place. So you kind of have that side as well. Uh, Driving the news, the European Union and some Asian governments are developing coronavirus vaccine passports that people can access using phone apps in order to help the kickstart. That's what we just read about. What he's saying, we are taking a very close look at it. You know, one of our principles that has guided us through this pandemic is the value of diversity and quality and inclusion and making sure that any passport that we have, have provided for vaccinations is accessible to all, that one is not disenfranchised. A DHS spokesperson also said... We are always we have or sorry we have always said we are looking at how we can assure Americans traveling abroad have a quick and easy way to enter other countries. That's what the secretary was referring to, ensuring that all U.S. travelers will be able to easily meet any anticipated foreign country entry requirements. The spokesperson added. They end with the big picture in their opinion by accident says uh, vaccine passports have become a controversial topic in the country with several Republican led states banning state government and some private businesses from requiring them. A recent survey by COVID States Project revealed that 62% of people in the U.S. support government imposed vaccine mandates while only 27.5% said that they support businesses using vaccine passports. And The major idea about vaccine passports is simply really about if a government should be allowed to do something like this from the United States perspective or in a more smaller way if your state government should be allowed to do something like this. And a a majority of liberty-minded Americans are hardcore conservatives, kind of both of those parties, which is kind of ironic because one, anyway... Uh, are saying that they don't think that a vaccine passport is necessary and ultimately goes against the Constitution and things that should be allowed. But there's also a major push, like the previous article mentioned, of simply doing something like a vaccine passport would allow for the country to become more open and things to open. So, once again, it's never as easy as just picking one side and that side being the true side and there's no other sides and no other concerns about that. Good afternoon to you as good afternoon to you as well, Demo. Hopefully you're having a good day or good night or good evening, whatever time it is for you. 
Now we're going to get into our major topic for today's podcast, and that is with the origins of the COVID-19 virus. This became huge, huge, huge news after Senator Rand Paul and several senators, uh, well, not Senator, Congressman Rand Paul, and then later senators such as... uh, Well, we'll get to the senators. Uh, Basically attacking Fauci over the claims of where the virus came from. Because at one point he said that it was most likely from Source A. Then he said, well, it may not be Source A. It could be Source B. So they've just been changing their problems. And uh, Senator Rand Paul was very vocal about this. And we're going to be listening to his exchange. But first, I wanted to give a little bit more background from these two articles before we get into several videos I have of Senators and Rand Paul, uh, the congressman, for bringing up claims of the origins of the COVID virus. So this is by the New York Post. If I can get over here. There we go. Whoop. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Scientists at Wuhan Lab and COVID probe admitted being bitten by bats. Scientists at the science lab eyed as possible source of the coronavirus pandemic were previously filmed getting bitten and spattled with blood while handling bats without protection, according to reports. The state-run TV footage showed researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, disregarding gloves, masks, and other PPE while handling bats and collecting feces in the field, Taiwan News first reported. Which is, which is kind of crazy, and I'm going to get to my opinions here in a little bit, but we'll keep going. In one section, virus expert Shu Li related how a bat's veins once went right through his glove, describing it as a feeling like being jabbed with a needle, the outlet noted. The video first broadcast in China on December 29, 2017, then cut to a person's limb badly swollen from an apparent bat bite. Scientists also admitted getting spraddled with blood during the research. As one scientist was shown handling samples with bare hands, the radiator noted how the risk risk of injury still exists, and that the team members got a rabies vaccine before each field sampling, the Taiwan report said. However, the lab's now notorious Batwoman leader dismissed the fears in a since-deleted article, claiming that this job is not as dangerous as everyone thinks. The odds of directly infecting humans is very small, she reported, uh, before her lab was the focus of worldwide attention because of the coronavirus pandemic that has killed more than 3.5 million people worldwide. And then it goes on to bring up some of the images of the lab inside and some of the images of the lab from outside and that was a major major claim because at the mem- at the start of all of this there's big claims as once again to where this virus came from and the first idea was that it came from bats or came from the chinese uh, wet markets and from animals ultimately and it turned out that they don't necessarily know that for sure now. They think it could be this. They think it could be that. They, you know, they're not entirely sure. And then it came out and a little bit later, and Senator Rand Paul kind of made this extremely, or not Senator Congressman Rand Paul made this extremely, uh, uh, 
popular in his in a viral video of his where he addressed Fauci and said, "Well, you knew that these people ultimately got bit by this bat, and you knew that they did because you know China told you, but yet you didn't do anything about it in the United States or warn anybody." Blah 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 blah. So you mishandled it even from the very start, and there was claims of that going on and other claims, and of course Fauci had his response, but it's not ultimately the major topic as to the most recent stuff that has gotten the congressman popular and other clips relating to what Fauci has said in the past to what he is saying now. This article is is by CNN again. And it is also about the origins as we read on. President Joe Biden's instructions to the U.S. intelligence community to redouble its efforts in investigating the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic came on the heels of intelligence officials informing the White House that they have possessed unreviewed evidence of soliciting greater computer analysis that could potentially provide answers. The paper cited senior administration officials who opted not to, de to detail the new evidence or the complemental analysis to be done. The disclosure raises the question of whether the government's fully examined existing intelligence and public health information in seeking out the virus emergence. It also comes as the Office of Director of National Intelligence issued the un usual public statement Thursday on the status of the intelligence gathering into the genesis of the pandemic, publicizing divisions within the intelligence communities, blah 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 blah. We'll scroll down. Biden's mandate on Wednesday came the same week as the news of the U.S. intelligence report that found several research that the Chinese Wuhan Institute of Virology had fallen ill in November 2019 and had to be hospitalized. In new detail about the severity of their, of their symptoms that could fuel further uh, the debate about the origins of the pandemic according to the two people briefed on the intelligence. And that is... One of the major uh, topics that I was just mentioning, and we heard it here from the CNN article as well. But we will uh, continue on with what they have to say. A State Department fact sheet released by Trump, there's, uh, Trump's administration in January said that the researchers had gotten sick in the autumn of 2019, but didn't go as far as to say that they could have been hospitalized. China reported to the World Health Organization as the first patient with COVID-like symptoms was recorded in Wuhan December 8, 2019. We're going to scroll down a little bit more. As of today, the U.S. intelligence community has has uh, coalesced around two likely scenarios, but has not reached a definitive conclusion on the question. Here is their current position. While two elements in the IC lens towards the former scenario and one lens more towards the latter, each with a low or moderate confidence, the majority of elements do not believe that there is significant information to assess one to be more likely than the other. And these solutions are simply about the origins, either being through the Wuhan lab or essentially through bats that may have been researched in the Wuhan lab, uh, but didn't come directly from the lab, but rather bats that uh, were in the were in the general uh, general. Uh, the general area and not necessarily directly from the lab itself. DK says, Facebook lifts ban on COVID came from a lab theory. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that, but I'm not entirely sure if Facebook did or not. 
because I know that this was a, a very early on uh, debated topic that many people thought was conspiracy, and Facebook did a big effort at limiting the amount of conspiracies that they viewed uh, COVID being related to, and so did YouTube in a large part. Both uh, platforms were very cautious cautious about the information that was uh, being spread. But uh, it does make sense now that Fauci and some others haven't directly denied that that is where the uh, virus has come from. So I definitely could see that as being, uh, being right, as uh, DK later says. And hopefully you're having a good day, good evening, or good night as well. Uh, yeah. But we're going to go full screen this video for those who are listening to this live as we wait for the full screen to load up and this was the exchange I was talking about from Rand Paul and he actually is a senator I, I don't know why I kept confusing him with a congressman I think he was a congressman before anyway but with uh, Rand Paul versus uh, Anthony Fauci here and I skipped a little bit to where the part that I think is the most important oh. So once again, I'm going to make this a lot louder so that we can actually hear it. And then, uh, once again, these videos, articles, and everything I mention in my podcast is linked in the channel description or on the podcast and whatever you are listening to it. But we'll go on and play this first exchange. Correct. Government defenders of gain of function, such as yourself, say that COVID-19... Uh, mutations were random and not designed by man. But interestingly, the technique that Dr. Barrick developed forces mutations by serial passage through cell culture that the mutations appear to be natural. In fact, Dr. Barrick named the technique the noceum technique because the mutations appear naturally. Nicholas Baker in the New York Magazine said, nobody would know if the virus had been fabricated in a laboratory or grown in nature. Government authorities in the U.S., including yourself, unequivocally deny that COVID-19 could have escaped a lab. But even Dr. Xi in Wuhan wasn't so sure. According to Nicholas Baker, Dr. Xi wondered, could this new virus have come from her own laboratory? She checked her records frantically and found no matches. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept for days. The director of the gain-of-function research in Wuhan couldn't sleep because she was terrified that it might be in her lab. Just think about that before we move on. I mean, if this is true, if it did come from the Wuhan lab, imagine being the person that is directly in charge for the gain-of-function research and the research of the COVID virus. And you were the one directly responsible for this getting released are at least somewhat responsible for this getting released out into the public. And that is what I, I, I mean, as Rand Paul said, you could that she was deeply worried and couldn't get sleep because of it. And that does make a lot of sense because this has led to numerous struggles, not just economically for a lot of the ward, but also uh, mentally for a lot of the ward and many deaths because of the virus and because of situations around the virus such as mental health and things like that. DF says Facebook was wrong to cancel be people for COVID lab theory. Now they want to recant. We will see if YouTube and Twitter follow Facebook's move. 
I mean, I'm assuming that they probably will. A lot of the, a lot of their uh, decisions are made in almost like a group. Uh, and that's why a lot of people tend to think that these companies are working together in a whole big tech problem that many people have. So they probably are going to make a move very similar to Facebook. And uh, I don't really see that that as being a problem. Also about uh, Facebook retracting. I mean, really, it just, I mean, I don't really have too much to say about that, really. It's just, it's, it was obvious to me <laughs> that that was going to happen. But we'll continue on. Dr. Barrick, an advocate of gain-of-function research, admits the main problem that the Institute of Virology has is the outbreak occurred in close proximity. What are the odds? Barrick responded, could you rule out a laboratory escape? The answer in this case is probably not. Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I do have a clip in the channel description of uh, this podcast so that you can verify this. But I also want to make sure I'm very clear when I say this that this is not the only time that Fauci has, uh, that Fauci has, uh, let's put it this way, changed his mind. And he would later say in another exchange with Senator Rand Paul that he is unsure of the very claim he just said about the World Health Organization knowing or not knowing about this. So I think that that is also a little bit interesting. And uh, I don't, I didn't want to necessarily play it here because we already have a whole bunch of video clips. Uh, I see that you posted a few links about the Facebook ban. I might be able to check those out here at the end. But we'll continue on with the videos that I have, and then we can go back and cut and talk about that story for sure. In the U.S., we have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're, you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. We should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how parsing many times words, you're parsing you say words. it, there it was didn't research, happen. There was research done with Dr. Xi and Dr. Barrick. They have collaborated on gain-of-function research where they enhanced the SARS virus to infect human airway cells, and they did it by merging a new spike protein on it. That is gain-of-function. That was joint research between the Wuhan Institute and Dr. Barrick. You can't deny it. Senator Paul, your time, time has expired. Dr. Fauci, I so that was all his claim there, and there is a little bit more to this video if you do want to catch out the full exchange in this 
part of uh, Senator Rand's Paul exchange, and he has many other very popular exchanges with uh, Rand, with uh, Anthony Fauci, excuse me, including the one that I also mentioned, where Fauci basically said the opposite of what he said about knowing the research between the uh, researchers at Wuhan and the researchers are people who are involved in the World Health Organization and so on. But this is our next one, kind of talking a little bit about that. But this one is with Senator Rubio. So we're going to go ahead and give this a listen once I get this full screen for our viewing audience. And we do have quite a bit of clips, including one more after this. So we'll just keep it moving. But D D uh, DF says, oops for them, a big oops for the media and Dems are both Cuomo's. Yeah, both of them have, have looked a little bit... Uh, not so good lately, that is for sure. Thanks all of you for being here. I think I'll direct this to Dr. Fauci, but I welcome everybody's answer. I just want to go through so what we do know. We've heard a lot about what we don't know. So here are the things that we do know, okay? Um, so SARS-1, we identified the host animal within four months. MERS, I believe we identified the host animal within nine months. It's now been 15 and a half, 16 months. We've still not seen, and China's not produced any evidence of uh, the host uh, animal that transmitted COVID-19 to a human. Um, we know that China has a history of, of lab accidents. I think, Dr. Fauci, you answered Senator Graham's question. I think he phrased it as, has there ever been a pandemic that came out of a laboratory? And the answer was no. But we do know of outbreaks that came out of a, out of a laboratory. I believe uh, back in 2004, uh, two researchers in Beijing uh, were infected doing research on SARS and, and led to an outbreak. Uh, China has a history of lab accidents. Um, this outbreak happened in a city that happened to be the home, coincidentally, of a lab which we know is involved in extensive research. And what they do is they take this naturally occurring virus and they manipulate it and they change it to make it infectious to humans. We know that they do that there. They've published about it. And it also happened in a city, in, in a lab, where a Rutgers biosecurity expert raised concerns about uh, its safety. And, and our diplomats in 2018 were cabling back to Washington expressing concern about the safety. So I take all those facts together, right? SARS, we knew the host in four months. MERS, we knew the host in nine. We still don't know the, the, the host in, for COVID, even though, and China's not being transparent about it, even though they have a vested interest in producing the host so they can put all those down. Um, in a lab that we know is involved in changing viruses synthetically so that they become infectious for humans, um, in a lab that diplomats have told us is unsafe, and a country that had a history of lab leaks, and by the way, in a virus that we know can be synthetically created because the Swiss did it. The Swiss created an exact replica of this virus in the lab uh, for purposes of answering it. All these facts were available to us last May, last April. Why? I'll start with Dr. Fanny. Why, why did you dismiss the lab leak? So before he answers, I think that he brought up some very, very good claims about this because finding the host animal when it comes to a virus, because typically viruses are transmitted through human, or sorry, transmitted through animals and mostly through bats and things like that. I believe there was a virus that was transmitted through pigs as well, but I'm not ultimately 100% sure on that one, but I know bats for sure is a common host animal that many of uh, viruses get uh, released from eventually into uh, humans and whatnot. 
and uh, he mentioned many of the more popular recent viruses are that have been out into the public and how we found the animals within a certain amount of months and were double those amount of months and we still don't know the host animal and it's leading more and more likely that they that it's come directly from the lab or at least the lab had a great influence in how the virus was transmitted and that is extremely bad and uh to rubio's kind of hinting at and what rand paul was hinting at and we're later going to see another senator kind of hinting at and uh on this uh committee uh of a senate committee to anthony fauci and other health experts is that since you already had that information back several, 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 several months ago, you could have reasonably guessed and reasonably assumed that it didn't come from an animal and it may have actually come from the lab. So why didn't you at least let the public know that it was possible or at least investigate it yourself? And that's kind of what he's hinting at and what uh, people are directly saying to Anthony Fauci. And that is interesting, especially when you bring up the host animals and the time it took. But we're going to go ahead and let Anthony Fauci answer Senator Rubio's question. Leak theory as, as credible. I have always said that the high likelihood is that this is a natural occurrence. I didn't dismiss anything. I just said it's a high likelihood that this is a natural occurrence from the environment of an animal reservoir that we have not yet identified. Well, and I still maintain that, but as, as I just mentioned to the response to other questions, that since you don't know 100% about that, because no one knows, including me, 100% what the origin is, is the reason why we're in favor of further investigation. Well, given everything I've decided, and if, I, if anything I decided is incorrect, I, I hope it will be correct that I'm relying, obviously it's not my field of study, so I'm relying on but what other experts and have published what is the basis for this high likely, what is the basis for the conclusion that it is likelier to have been naturally occurring than a lab accident? I asked a specific question to the Director of National Intelligence and how I posed it is, is it not true that it is the assessment that they are equally likely based on our information that we have? So as I outline all of these things here, is she wrong when she answered me yes? And based on everything I've just cited, why the, what is it that we're basing the higher likelihood of naturally occurring is it simply because that's all we've ever seen in the past? Well, we have historical experience that happened with SARS-CoV-1. It happened with MERS. It happened with HIV. It happened with virtually all the influenza pandemics. So the historical basis for pandemics evolving naturally from an animal reservoir is extremely strong. And it's for that reason that we felt that something similar like this has a much higher likelihood. But again, getting back to what I said, and let me repeat so there's no lack of clarity in that, no one knows, not even I, 100% at this point, which is the reason why we are in favor of further investigation. But going back to precedent. So before Rubio kind of questions Anthony Fauci a little bit more on what he's saying, 
Anthony Fauci seems to almost dodge his question, but in a more sneaky-ish way, because you can kind of see that uh, he's saying, like, uh, we don't know for sure, and science is supposed to be for sure. Yes, we have theories. Yes, we have uh, questions we want to answer in science that we don't know the exact results for, but we also need to make sure that we go about trying to answer these questions in the correct way. So it's almost like Anthony Fauci saying, until I know for certain, I don't want to tell you that it has come out from the lab or why it has taken so long to find this host animal. So he's just kind of dodging the question based off of that and not ultimately answering the question uh, about why we haven't found a host animal or one of the other questions that Rubio necessarily asked. And this is where we start to see Rubio try to get a more solid answer from Anthony Fauci. The, the precedents require them to be similar. The difference between this one and that one is, and as I said, four months we knew the host for SARS, nine months we knew the host for MERS. China has all the incentive in the world to produce this host and hasn't done so and then you add up all these other things i mean is it just a coincidence that happened in the city that's doing this kind of research which by the way is controversial i know you and others have been supportive of it but but it's controversial it's not widely accepted as as, as good my whole point is there are people out there who had facebook posts taken down they're called kooks conspiracy theorists for saying publicly a year ago what we now say may be possible and i think those people deserve an apology at a minimum thank you so he brings it back to the good old Facebook argument. And ultimately, we have Mr. Uh, DF talking about that also. And I'll go ahead and read his uh, comments here because I don't want to. Uh, I think it's related to the topic. So we'll go ahead. Oops. Sorry about that. I'm getting the next video ready. All right, here we go. Uh, DF says on Twitch here. In February, Facebook explicitly blanded the claim as part of a broad policy update aimed at removing more false claims about COVID-19 vaccines. In a public statement at the time, it said, Following consolidations uh, with leading health organization, including the World Health Organization, who... We are expanding the list of false claims we will remove to include additional debunked claims about the coronavirus and vaccine. Anyone posting claims that COVID-19 was man-made or manufactured could have been seen could have seen their posts removed or restricted, and repeatedly sharing the allegation could have led to a ban from the site entirely. So there he's talking a little bit about Facebook, and then he gives to the most recent thing that came out, as uh, DF says. On Wednesday, the company said, in light of ongoing investigations into the origin of COVID-19 and in constellation with public health experts, we will no longer remove the claim that COVID-19 is man-made from our apps. We're continuing to work with World Health experts to keep peace with the evolving nature of the pandemic and regularly update our policies as new facts and trends emerge. So there's the most recent Facebook claim. Ultimately, what uh, DF, I think, is ultimately hinting at is censorship of 
facts and censorship of, of free speech on tech platforms and big tech and all of the major claims. And ultimately, that is a different debate. And I don't really want to necessarily talk about that issue right here because I'm trying to keep it more focused on the COVID and the origins of it possibly coming from a lab to be uh, the focus of what I'm talking about right now. But you can kind of see how things have changed drastically and you could tell that they were trying to control the narrative of COVID and where it ultimately came from uh, and, and how it happened. And ultimately you could say that they're trying to do that so that misinformation doesn't get spread and other things don't happen. But at the same time, it, it left many people a little bit angry on Facebook and other platforms because they want to be able to express, you know, freedom of speech. And it's kind of interesting to think that something that then was restricted uh, could actually be truthful. And maybe even Anthony Fauci and who and all these people knew that it did come from a lab. Uh, hence why I've titled it. They knew the whole time and then they have dot 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 or did they because I still think it's a little bit interesting because they're still claiming that they didn't know that it happened but it's I find it very hard to believe with the information that they would have at least looked at this claim but from the appearance of how Anthony Fauci is answering questions it appears that they may have not even ultimately really considered it until uh, recently where it kind of got called out by Rand Paul and some others in research and blah 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 blah. But this next claim is by Senator Kinney on pushing uh, Fauci on gain-of-function research. So we'll go ahead and listen to that. I'm chairman, Chairwoman. Uh, Dr. Fauci, I believe you have testified that uh, that uh, you didn't give any money to the Wuhan lab to conduct gain-of-function research. Is that right? That is correct. How do you know they didn't lie to you? Excuse me, sir? How do you know they didn't lie to you and use the money for gain-of-function research anyway? Well, we've seen the results of the experiments that were done and that were published and that the viruses that they... Um, uh, studied are on public databases now. So none of that was gain of function. So how, how do you know they didn't do the research and uh, not put it on their website? There's no way of guaranteeing that. But in our experience with grantees, including Chinese grantees, which we've had interactions with for a very long period of time, they're very competent, trustworthy scientists. I'm not talking about anything else in China. I'm talking about the scientists that you would expect that they would abide by the conditions of the grant, which they've done for the years that we've had interactions. So you don't think. So this was an interesting thing, and I'm surprised nobody really asked this before uh, Senator Kinney did. Or maybe people did and this just became viral, but Senator Kinney kind of. Kennedy, excuse me, kind of made this uh, very viral when asking this question of how do you know that China didn't lie to you or at least not tell the full truth? And Fauci ultimately brings it back to the scientists of, of China and trusting the scientists of China and not anything else relating to China as kind of Fauci was talking about. And that would be such as the Chinese government being communist and whatnot. The idea that I think Senator Kidney is pushing at here 
is the fact that China is communist and China would want to control the narrative, especially on a situation like COVID. So how do you know that the scientists themselves were being truthful to you and the money you gained for gain and the money you gave for gain of function research and not doing something else? And if you want to be really conspiratory conspiratorial how do you know that they didn't use that money to create the very thing that has been released uh, in the name of COVID-19 so he was kind of directly asking Fauci this question and Fauci was ultimately bringing it back to the trust he has with scientists the trust he has with uh, who World Health Organization and trust he has with other people and trusting the process of China. So once again, we have known previously of how Anthony Fauci answers questions. He brings it back to almost a scientific method and he's very concerned about the purity that science faces. And many people who are looking at COVID and looking at the situation are thinking that science is not being so pure when it comes to this example. And I think that kind of led to Senator Kidney's question. But we're going to go ahead and play a little bit more. The Chinese would lie to you. Well, when you say the Chinese, the Chinese are a rather broad group. I know the scientists that we've dealt with have been trustworthy. Mm -hmm. You think all the scientists uh, have told the truth in terms of the origin of the Wuhan virus and not been influenced by the Communist Party of China, do you? I don't have enough insight into the Communist Party in China to know the interactions right. between them and the scientists, sir. Right. Why are we giving him money in the first place? Well, that's a very good question, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to answer welcome. it. Uh, well, SARS-CoV-1 started in China, in Guangdong province, and it went from a bat to a civet cat to yes, a human. Yes, and excuse me, Doc, for interrupting you, but our time is so Yeah, limited. no, no, I'm, I'm going to be real quick. I, our time is so limited. Why are we giving money to the labs in China to study virology. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to give you a, a rather succinct answer to that, sir. I appreciate that. And that's why I was saying the SARS-CoV-1, clearly the bats that have the viruses, that are the coronaviruses, are in China. As I said a couple of times, it's not in Fairfax County, Virginia, or is it in New York? It's in China. So if you want to show and study, importantly, the animal-human interface. Because that's where the bats are. Yeah, the okay. bats. We're, that's I got where it. the bats are. I want to be sure I understand your testimony. You didn't give money to the Wuhan lab to do gain-of-function research. That is correct. And you believe they didn't do gain-of-function research because they told you they didn't. We've seen the results of the studies that they conducted. And they in, were not including any function. private studies. Excuse me, in, including any private studies. I'm not sure what you're getting at, sir. I, I, well, here's what I'm getting at. You gave them money and you said, don't do gain of function research. Correct. And they said, we won't. Correct. And you ha have no way of knowing whether they did or not, except you trust them. Is that right? Well, we generally always trust the grantee to do what they say and you look at the results have you ever had a grantee lie to you 
So once again, he's ultimately bringing it back to the trustfulness of scientists. Because again, Fauci is very much a person wanting to trust the actual scientists and trust the money that they that America and Fauci directly gave the lab to do certain type of research. And he's saying that we they found the results from it. They looked at the results from their research. And ultimately, Kennedy's saying, okay, maybe they did do that as part of their money you gave. But how do you know that all of your money went to this particular research and they didn't take some from that money and used it for gain-of-function research, which is something you're not allowing the Chinese scientists to do? How, where does your trust come from? How do you know 100% without any certainty that the money was spent on what you needed it to be spent on and what is required for it to be spent on. Because if you don't know for sure, you could be looking very bad giving money to the very people that uh, that that uh, ultimately uh, uh, researched this virus that may have been released later from the lab. May have not have been intentionally, but that's ultimately the claim coming from Kennedy here. How do you know with, with without any certainty that... The money was well spent and the money was spent on this particular thing and not the thing you said that it couldn't be spent on even if you did see the research because again they could have not have used all of that money that you gave so is there clauses that if you don't use all the money you have to send it back you know he was kind of asking those sort of questions i cannot guarantee that a grantee has not lied to us because you never know yeah can we agree that if you took President Xi Jinping and turned him upside down and shook him, the World Health Organization would fall out of his pocket. <laughs> so then you get to kind of a, a funny thing that Mr. Kennedy said here. But ultimately, I think he, he's saying it in a little bit of a, of a funny way. He's probably frustrated with, with what Fauci has been answering with, so he decided to be a little bit hyperbolic in his question to Anthony Fauci here, because he probably knew that he wasn't going to get a straight answer, so he might as well have a little bit of fun with Fauci. But we're going to go ahead and hear his response to that, but it's kind of a funny claim, but I do think a lot of people more in the hardcore Republican side, like Senator Kennedy is, are thinking that ultimately the Chinese government uh, owns the World Health Organization or has a huge influence on the World Health Organization. So having an investigation by the World Health Organization to the origins of COVID-19 is going to lead uh, going to lead to a different result than the actual result that it should be if the virus did come from Wuhan. And if it didn't, then they should have an investigation claiming where it did come from. But the whole idea is that the the World Health Organization is uh, and China have a very big influence, and any idea or any investigation could be uh, flawed. But we'll go ahead and hear uh, Fauci's claims or Fauci's response. I don't think I can answer that question, sir. I'm sorry. What do you think that the uh... President Xi Jinping has undue influence over the World Health Organization, do you? I have no way of knowing the influence of the president of China over the WHO. Okay, so you think the WHO is a completely independent body, level playing field, call it like you see it, 
and they really want to get to, to, to the bottom of the origin of the virus. Do you believe that? My interaction with the WHO and for Dr. Tedros, the director general, has been one okay. that I do believe he's a person of high degree of integrity. I, I want to ask one last question. Why, why did you guys spike, not guys and ladies, why did y'all spike the prior administration's uh, investigation into the origins of the coronavirus and whether it could have uh, come out of the Wuhan lab? Sir, I, I, we did not spike anything in the prior administration. I'm not sure what you mean by spike, but we have no influence. The State Department spiked the, the, the prior administration's right. uh, study. But that has nothing to do with the National Institutes of so Health. So they didn't consult with y'all? They did not. Did they consult with you, Dr. Collins? I read about it in the press this morning. Doc, they just spiked it without talking to their experts? You don't want to answer that one, do you? <laughs> I just read about it. Thank you, Madam Chair. That was in response to one of the health officials on the World Health Organization, I believe. No, the National Institute of Health, excuse me, the NHLH, the National Health, uh, the National Institute of Health, <laughs> if I could say that right. And his response for ending or in Kennedy's words, spiking the uh, allegation or the, the effort of research into the origins of this. So once again, it goes back to the question of... Did they know that the origins from the very start, or did they just start to research it now, now that it's come to the attention of the of everybody in the public here, since uh, Rand Paul brought it up and other people kind of brought it up as well. <clears throat> and as we heard from Rubio, if those claims of what Rubio made are true from scientific research papers and everything else, it would seem to be that it would be very easy for scientists to at least investigate the origin based off of not knowing the direct bat the virus came from or the direct animal that it came from, blah, 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 and many other claims that politicians and uh, scientists have made in response to where this virus even came from. So it comes back to why I titled the podcast the way I titled it. Did they know or did they not know? It's kind of a weird situation. You would think that they would have at least started to investigate it a lot earlier than now if they, uh, if they are uh, being truthful. But it's hard to tell. Now we're going to end the podcast in our last topic here. Once again, we're going back to the Middle East conflict and uh, crisis and Biden's ceasefire agreement. And we have a few things about what Biden said about the ceasefire agreement. And then we have a few things that could make the situation in the Middle East a bit more complex. As we hear from Al Jazeera, Biden applauds Gaza's ceasefire agreement between Israel and Hamas. United States President Joe Biden said on Thursday, the U.S. welcomes a ceasefire agreement between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip, emphasized the U.S. will continue to support Israeli military. The United States fully supports Israel's right to defend itself against the indiscriminate 
amount of rockets by Hamas and Gaza-based terrorist groups that have taken the lives of innocent civilians, Biden said in remarks at the White House in Washington. These hostilities have resulted in the tragic deaths of so many civilians, including children, and I send my severe condolences to all families, Israeli and Palestinian, who have lost loved ones, Biden said. In a telephone call with the Israeli Prime Minister earlier today, Biden said he commended the Israelis for bringing the immediate conflict to an end after 11 days of assured conflict of the U.S. and, and, and military support. Mm-mm. Biden said he has spoken with the Egypt President and Palestinian Authority President uh, of, for an impossible agreement between the nations. Biden said the U.S. would work with the United Nations and other international organizations to provide rapid humanitarian assistance for the people of Gaza. We will do this in full partnership with the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, in a manner that does not prevent Hamas to simply restock its military arsenal, said Biden. And the article goes a little bit more, talking about this situation. I have a video of Biden's remarks, but I'm just I'm going to uh, skip ahead. But if you are interested in what Biden had to say in his conference, you can listen to the video and find it also in the channel description. But it kind of says the same stuff of the article, so I didn't think it was uh, necessary. The next thing could make this conflict be a little bit more of a future conflict than being uh, a peace order or the idea that this could be resolved. As uh, USA Today mentions here, graphic shows Hamas expands uh, rocket arsenal which could alter the balance in conflict with Israel. Much of the Israeli fighting in May uh, with Hamas firing long-range rockets. And uh, the idea of this is that Hamas is looking to make a little bit more of aggressive actions than they should be. And if this claim is true and that they're moving rockets and making more of a military moves to uh, essentially uh, destroy Israel easier or at least be uh, easier to get into a future conflict, the idea that them coming to a peace order seems to be less and less likely to be true if they're making aggressive moves, essentially. But we'll read on. Much of Israeli and Palestine fighting in May was an air war with Hamas firing long-range rockets at Israel cities and Israel uh, retaliating back. Rockets warfare between the two is not unusual, but there's a difference now. Through Israel retains an overwhelming advantage, Hamas, the Islamist militant group in Gaza, has more than more and better rockets, which may affect future conflicts. From May 11th to the ceasefire on May 21st, Hamas launched a significantly higher number of rockets into Israel, much more than previous conflicts, including to Michael Armstrong, associate professor and missile warfare researcher at Brook University. The rocket fire differed from the 2014 and 2012 conflicts in a couple of ways, Armstrong says. One was a quantity or quantity of rockets, excuse me. Uh, Amazing Grace here on YouTube says, that's a, a good name, uh, 
that's actually a real good name, but they say, are you getting the vaccine? And then they state, what's this live AB about? What's this live about, I think? Right now we're talking about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict and uh, Hamas moving rockets or getting higher tier rockets. So the idea that they could come to a peace treaty is looking more and more unlikely. And as we see in this chart for those who are viewing it live, you see that in 2012 there was only like say 300 uh, rockets about. And now in 2021 the amount of rockets and the amount of rockets that uh, Hamas is believed to have is over six and closer to 700 and that is over the process of 10 days and rockets or sorry this is rockets being launched a day excuse me it's closer to 600 to 700 when compared to the 300 that was highest in 2012 but we're going to continue on here Hamas fired an average of 500 missiles a day for the worst week of the May conflict, which is absolutely crazy. But let's continue on. In 2014, the busiest day was 192. In 2012, it was 316. They may have better supplies of rockets, Armstrong says. They seem to have more of a longer-range rockets, which is another important change. More rockets hit their intended targets. About 50% have threatened populated areas in Israel. Armstrong wrote in an analysis the conversation in 2014. The rate was 18%. In 2012, it was 22%. Hamas improves accuracy of its rockets. In 2012, it was 22%. In 2014, it was down to 18%. In 2021, it was a whopping 50% accuracy. But let's continue on. Some of the rockets fired at Tel Aviv showing its increased range over previous versions. I think it's more of a tactical or strategic change, Armstrong says. In 2014, it was more of a prolonged arbitration dragging things out to harm the Israeli economy because of a lot of distribution. This time it's more like we are going to go in big right away and see how much disruption we can cause in a short period of time. I would say it changes things quite a bit, says uh, a missile protection analyst. The reality of significant change in this round, the number of rockets launched, they that they have fired a, a huge number of rockets simultaneously. Thousands of rockets have been fired by Israeli Air Force and Hamas, but in the latest conflict, Hamas was able to fire more rockets in tighter groups that we call salvos. Than it has in the past, Armstrong says. In one Salav, Humas said it fired 137 rockets in five minutes, which is crazy. How, Haras, uh, how Israel Hamas weapons compare? With its offensive weapons and defensive system, Israel remains an overwhelming military superiority over, over, over na uh, neighboring Palestinians, but Hamas has improved its rockets' capabilities. How they compare? Israel's long-range missile distance. Israel's weaponry is aided by foreign assistance as well as providing its own curse and ballistic missiles. Israel also exports missile uh, systems. Israel is believed to have nuclear weapons, but has never admitted or denied possessing them, according to the Arms Control Association. And then they have a little graphic of their missile range here. But for those who are on the podcast, you wouldn't be able to see that. But it basically says they can go all the way to about 186 miles. Now we're going to compare that to Hamas, 
which is looking about the same here. It talks about the Iron Dome defense system that is actually working with pretty good accuracy about shooting down Hamas's rockets. But we're going to go down here. Hamas and other militant groups have launched more than 4,000 rockets from the Gaza Strip since the beginning of the conflict on May 10th, according to Israeli Air Force. And we see some pictures of that. Gaza's Mitchell's reaching further than Israel, and you can see that they have very good accuracy on 50 miles, and their furthest rockets are looking at about 95 miles with more accuracy as well. And you see that there is a large percentage of more deaths in the Gaza Strip in response, but there is also a ton more deaths in Israel in response to... Uh, to uh, Hamas's increased range and increased accuracy by their missiles. So if you want to see a lot of graphics and a pretty good uh, information about all of this, definitely check out USA Today's article on the Hamas uh, expanded wep uh, weapons arsenal and potential conflict that that could resolve. And I just want to quickly end with this topic and then we'll finish the podcast here with something that I'm actually going to make a solo video about for my YouTube Odyssey and BitChute channels. And if I think that the conflict is ultimately going to continue or are they going to reach a solution or is it going to have to be something a lot more drastic. So I don't ultimately want to spoil that. But I will say with an expansion of Hamas's rockets and the material and getting better accuracy and more knowledge and Hamas's uh, ability to uh, use uh, common areas such as hospitals, daycares, and news agency buildings. Buildings. I don't necessarily see that they're going about it in a way to resolve a, this conflict through a peace treaty. I don't think that they are really willing to do that so far. So that's all I'm necessarily going to say on that because I don't want to spoil what my solo video is going to be. But I think you can kind of hint towards where I lean when it comes to the Middle East conflict, which is unfortunate. But that is all of the uh, podcast for today. So I highly appreciate everybody stopping by live or watching it on uh, any podcast app later on. I highly appreciate all of y'all and I hope you'll catch me on the next one. <laughs>